0: We'd like to thank Highland Canine Training, LLC, one of the most diversified dog training companies in the world. They can help your agency start a new canine program or hone your existing skills if you're an experienced handler. Check them out at tacticalpolicek9training.com. That's the letter
1: K, the number nine. Tell them you heard it here. I want to give a huge shout out to my guys at police canine association you can contact them through email at police canine association at gmail.com or go to the website police canine association.com or pk9a.com and check out their awesome gear and yeah
0: i'm a crazy motherfucker walking
2: up your street Fucker that you will ever see. Yeah, I'm a crazy mother. Fucker walking up your straight.
0: Welcome to Working Dog Radio, Broadcasting the Bite. We are. On episode two of Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite here with Ted Summers and Eric Stambro for Vaness Canine, Working Dog Dry Goods, Torchlight Canine, and of course Working Dog Radio. Today we have Mike Ritland. For those that don't know Mike in the Working Dog community, which would be hard to imagine, uh, was in the Seals did twelve years in the Seals, um, came out, started Tricos International, started Warrior Dog Foundation, New York Times best-selling author and. And he circle-gamed everybody opening the New York Stock Exchange last week, which was absolutely fantastic.
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. I, don't know which, I, don't, I was just given given somebody the okay, and it got got inverted Top Gun style, and, and uh, you know, so I don't know. I got, you know. It, it, Sorry, right. I get I get mis I get misinterpreted all the time, so I'm not surprised.
0: I sent Logan a text and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And he kind of laughed and was like, "Well, I, I don't know what he's doing. I I didn't see it." And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> so yeah. Alicia sent me the text and was like, "Look at this shit. Are you kidding me?" So so th- that was pretty cool. I mean, how how what was that like? Opening the New York Stock Exchange.
2: I tell you, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty surreal. Honestly, it, it was a neat, uh, neat experience. I hadn't, uh, obviously been, been there before other than a couple of years ago. Uh, a friend of mine that, uh, runs in some circles with some finance guys there, uh, you know, walked me through and, and around it and whatever, but not, not like that, obviously, you know? So, uh, it was, it was really cool. I mean, the, the, the exchange uh, itself as an entity could not have been more hospitable and and uh you know they just they did a fantastic job of of making us feel at home and and taking really good care of us and highlighting the foundation and and uh, yeah I mean it was just it was really truly an honor to to be able to do it and in, in a once in a lifetime uh, gig for sure so it was uh, it was really cool awesome. Mike did any of the folks there know you uh, I mean some of them did uh you know knew I mean, i guess of me uh but um you know it wasn't it uh, wasn't like norm at cheers or anything that's for sure <laughs> you know but uh uh half the fucking listeners probably aren't gonna even get that joke uh, with the with the younger younger crews coming in but right. but uh no, i mean it was uh you know they were they were um uh, you know, they were familiar with the organization and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're really, you know, we were just blown away by, by the support of, of Warrior Dog Foundation and what, what all they did for, to highlight it and, and everything. So it was, it was pretty awesome.
0: Excellent. So, um, you know, for those that haven't read the books and whatever else, I mean, you know, you kind of start out and we talk about uh, you talk about your time growing up in Iowa and how uh, you sort of ended up in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that time frame look like? And, you know, when you're moving along towards uh, we'll talk about this a little bit moving along uh, as your time in the teams, you guys didn't really have a dog program at the time. Um, so
2: yeah. Yeah. So, um, I lost a bet and that's why I came in the Navy. And, uh, you know, so I'm just talking with you. Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> I was, I was I, like, damn, <laughs> I just, so, now it's a harsh bet. No, I, uh, both my grand grandfathers, uh, served in world war two, uh, not uncommon for, you know, guys our age and, and, uh, you know I was just always really inspired by that and and uh always enjoyed talking with uh with one of them um you know about it he was in the navy and and had some pretty cool stories and um you know I just really my whole life even at that I always kind of looked at decisions um in terms of what was going to make the biggest impact. Uh, you know, across the board. You know, how how could I make the the biggest difference? I guess and and uh, you know, so for me, that's why I I joined the Navy and and specifically you know entered the SEAL community and and that was in in '96, uh, right after I graduated high school and and I uh, went to to Intel A school in, in Virginia Beach and then straight to buds after that and graduated with class 215. uh went to seal team three and did uh, a few deployments there and and uh on on a combat deployment to iraq um you know that's that's really when the light switch moment for me kind of came on and and you know the backstory is I, I grew up with bird dogs in iowa and then i got into hog dogs for a number of years after that and and a lot of um a lot of what I learned uh, and just was interested in with them, uh, you know, obviously not knowing it at the time, but but really formed a lot of the um, a lot of the things that I've, I've kind of implemented into the working dog uh, philosophy that I that I have, uh, specifically from an animal husbandry and and nutrition and conditioning and breeding theory and and, and that kind of stuff, more on the on the logistics of it, the you know, not not so much on the training side excuse me but um but uh fast forward to to o three uh it was in iraq and and uh you know, the area that we were at there was a group of marines that, that had a dog and and you know long story short, is that you know that for me, it was just like, holy shit, why don't we have these dogs you know um you know and and so from that day forward uh you know i just i i couldn't get enough of them. And, uh, and it was, um, you know, upon returning, I just, I, I ate, breathed, lived, shit, slept every, everything I could, uh, you know, working dog and, and, you know, trained with whoever I could find and, and volunteered or, or, you know, tried to, uh, piggyback onto any, any group I could, whether it was a sport club, you know, and or anything, um, and uh, you know, and then when the West Coast uh, started to develop their program, uh, it was it was about the time I was getting out. It was a little bit before, and uh, I remember I went to a. Uh a decoy, uh, camp, the, the three day, two or three day decoy camp seminar, whatever up at Adlerhorst, um, you know, with several other guys that were uh, considering going into the, into the program and being handlers. And, and there was three of us and, uh, one of one of them, uh, ended up going in and, and, uh, joining the group and being a handler. And then myself and the other guy, uh, he, he ended up going to a medical, um, medical position. And then I, I got out and started the company. But for me, that was, it was a tough crossroads because I, you know, there was a lot of me that wanted to stay in and, and be a handler and, uh, and then have that experience of just, you know, one guy, one dog, and, and having that relationship and deploying with them. But again, I, you know, um, in keeping with the kind of what, what's going to make the biggest impact. Uh, you know, I knew getting out and starting my own company and, and providing training and dogs and breeding and seminars and conferences and all that kind of shit was going to uh, make a, a bigger impact than just being, uh, you know, a handler and a dog. Certainly not taking anything away from that. I mean, my hat's off to, to those guys for, mm-hmm. for all that they do. And, and I there, there is for sure part of me that, that wishes that I, I had stayed in and done that, but I, I know had I done that, I'd still fucking be doing it, you know, um, which, you know, not that again, it's just kind of that, that crossroads that there's not really a wrong answer. It's just, uh, the path that I took is the path that I took. And, and I certainly don't regret it, uh, but I just can't have it both ways, I guess. So, um, I got out and, and, uh, started, I started my first dog company with two other guys. Uh, we did that for a couple of years and and focused on nothing but you know big government contracts, you know, police, military, DoD, other government agency contracts, and then did no personal protection, no books, no online, anything. I mean, it was all you know real in-house, you know, keep it under the the umbrella type of uh, type of stuff and. Um, and then I, after, uh, we got the, I got the training contract for the West Coast, uh, MPC program for, for several years. Um, and then after I, I was out there in uh, part of 11 and 12, uh, when I came back from that, uh, that's when I was approached by, uh, by a, a publishing house out on the East Coast, uh, McMillan to, to do the, the first book. And even that same thing, like, you know, um, that that crossing over into into that realm of like going from trying to stay the gray man to being in the limelight is is a is not an easy decision for uh, you know for having that background and i know you know some people may may think that uh, that it was easy or that that's what i wanted or whatever but it, it was a tough decision between you know knowing what it would what it would bring in terms of exposure to my my family and and all of that shit um you know, it, it was it was not something that I, I did quickly or or impulsively. I mean, I, I spent a fair bit of time, you know, really really deciding if I if that's what I wanted and knowing how the community views that and and all that and and it was a tough decision. Uh, but again. You know, looking at it from a how is this going to impact uh, you know the industry and, and dog programs as a whole. Uh, I, I looked at it as a a very good opportunity to bring uh, to the mainstream and and to light working dog programs that are that are in the here and now at a, at a high level, um, you know, and, and not just kind of the raise awareness, uh, cliched, um, you know, fucking sentence, but, but really educate, you know, the public as best I can and, and try to, to put a positive light on, on how valuable these dogs are and, and how, uh, you know, how much uh, of a relationship that the, the dogs and the handlers have and the, and the types of things that they're doing within reason without compromising OPSEC and things like that and, and walking that tightrope, but uh, you know, I, I felt that that it could bring a lot to it, and so between the book and then the 60 Minutes piece, they came out you know within a week of each other, uh, completely you know by by accident. But um, you know, it it, it kind of catapulted me into the into the forefront of of a lot of um, you know cameras and interviews and and shit like that that i I frankly wasn't wasn't really ready for um you know i i wouldn't say that i got caught with my pants down i mean i knew it was coming i it just i don't think there's a a way for guys like me to to really prepare for that and be completely ready and so that was kind of a whirlwind for for a couple of years of, of trying to decide you know what to focus on and where to go and what to say yes to and what to say no to and uh, you know, they were, they were all good learning experiences, uh, but, um, and one thing just taking a couple steps back. Uh, in 2010, that's when the first first couple of dogs I received for the Warrior Dog Foundation started, um, and and I'll I'll get back to that in a minute. But uh, you know that that kind of started congruently while I was still in my first dog company, and, and I uh, kind of broke up with the two partners that I had there, and and then that's when I came back from the West Coast and wrote the book and started my started the Warrior Dog Foundation as its own entity up until from 2010 until uh, early. 2013, I, I was basically just doing it out of pocket. Um, you know, there, there was not a formed uh, 501c3 nonprofit. You know, with that, it was operating the same way in terms of I was taking dogs in when they needed them, and and then uh, I was just taking care of them because I felt like it was the right thing to do. And uh, but it got to a point where it was kind of starting to bury me business wise um because we were getting more and more dogs in and and I was just you know again just just taking care of it and and uh you know between the book and the 60 minutes thing and the exposure that, I, that you know would obviously come from that I felt it was a a good decision to have something on paper and, and have everything uh, organized and, and be where it needs to be, um, you know, from a from a nonprofit standpoint, so that we can actually operate and, and continue to grow and take in more dogs and be a, a better, more organized resource. And and now it's it's grown to where we've taken in uh, over eighty dogs, you know, since twenty ten and, and rehabbed and rehomed most of them. And and uh, you know, I'm, I'm just very honored to have been to been uh, you know a part of that that whole time line but uh, so anyway that's that's kind of the how how the warrior dog foundation gets mixed in there but um, after uh, after that kind of wave of of, uh, you know being thrown into the into the spotlight if you will from the book the pixie minutes thing they led to you know the next two books and and a whole host of other things. And that's when I started Trico's was, was back then in 2013 as well. And, and, uh, cause I wanted it to just be my, my company. I didn't want to be partnered up with, uh, you know, other people and, and, uh, you know, have to really answer to anybody and just run my own show. and, and uh, make all all my own decisions, and and that's when I right. kind of um, transferred over into doing less of the of the big government type stuff. I mean, I, I still sell police dogs and do a lot of uh, conferences and train you know police can training you know with different departments and whatever and, yeah. and and what have you. But in terms of like going after big government stuff, I'm I'm just uh, I don't really have the. Have the appetite for that anymore? With with uh, having done it before and uh, the ins and outs mm-hmm. and complications with it and whatever. So, um, you know, then have have kind of gone more into uh, the mainstream with the online training with the you know, the team dog you know, online stuff and right, and right. Uh, just developing diff- different products and what have you. And and then uh, and then you two gentlemen asked me to, to jump in on this and here we sit. You're so right, well yeah, I
0: mean. Uh When, uh, so like taking a a little step back, so when you were on the West Coast in 2011, 2012, which was kind of the beginning of that program, um, you know, in these circles, like in these circles, you know, I mean, you've got the Marsaw kids, you've got Rangers, you've got you guys, um, you've got individual SWAT guys, and you've got BORTAC boys. And each one of those units has their own specific kind of. uh, they do different stuff, I guess is the best way to say it. They're very specific in terms of what they look for and types of dogs. And when you talk to trainers from each one of those places, they kind of give you the stock answer, you know, we do our own thing, whatever else. So during your time out there, how much of that, I mean, how much of a program were you helping to build or was it set in place for you? Or what were you guys specifically working on other than just training the dogs, obviously? But um, sure, Because it was fairly new yeah. at the time for them at the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it had been around for a couple of years, but the... And I know Eric can attest to this, um, you know, the, the fucking turnover rate and and the change with which, uh, some military and or government programs changes is, is astounding, uh, and not in a good way. Um, in that just like with anything is that, you know, programs need to have some stability and consistency, just like training a fucking dog, uh, you know, or anything else in life to, to really be successful and get their feet under them. And, you know, from my perspective, um, that's yeah, been probably the biggest Achilles' heels with a lot of programs that I've seen is is you know people both trainers, handlers, you know administrative staff, you know the the senior enlisted advisors or or the management leadership, whatever you want to call it, coming in and out and having different philosophies and ideas. Some of them love them, some of them hate them, some of them you know are real pro this or anti that or whatever. And so my point to that is that you know when when my my company got the contract back in 2010. Um, I, I sent uh, a guy named Wayne Dodge, who most people are, are familiar with in, in the uh, in the working dog world uh, out there, yeah, yeah. and unquestionably, you know, when he showed up, um, you know, he he did a, a ton uh, in terms of. Of really kind of revolutionizing the program and, and bringing it to the forefront of, of where it was when I showed up, um, you know, he, he had been at it for a while and 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 had done just a, a fucking amazing job uh, at selecting dogs and bringing handlers up and, and really grooming the program and and had gotten it to where you know they needed uh, you know more uh, more more help basically and and since I. <clears throat> Was in a position to to augment, I did, and and, uh, and went out there. And so, I mean, you know, to me, it's my my hat, and, and Pat goes off too, and and would would always put the credit uh, in in his lap for doing uh, the job that he did of, of setting that program up, because he he really did. I mean, and and um, you know, so I, I came out there and and just just helped really. I mean, um, at that point, just like with anything, I mean, there's definitely a um, an element of, um, you know can constant growth and and using real-world feedback as to what the deployed dogs are running into and how they're doing and and can comparing and contrasting that uh, from training issues and you know one thing that I, I think that that worked out really well at least for us at that time with the size of program being where it was and the and the politics or lack of politics that were that were there is we had a, a truckload of flexibility uh, as to what what we could do and, and how we went about it from You know, the way that we quote unquote certified dogs, where we bought them, how we selected them, you know, what we focused on in training. It was completely our, our deal, uh, and what worked really well for us was that, you know, uh, Wayne's background, uh, you know, from from the decoying side and uh, and even detection side with some of the relationships that he, he had built over the last, you know, 15, 20 years of of being with, uh, with the customs guys, Don Blair being, you know, one of the best detection trainers I've ever met and, and have learned oh, yeah. more, more than he's probably ever forgotten, uh, you know, during, you know, in the last decade to 12 years. And, and working with them off and on um, is, uh, you know, the, the getting that well-rounded uh, aspect from those guys, and then bringing my my background uh, from an operator standpoint and a dog guy uh, was just a really good mix, I thought, and, and I felt like, uh, you know, we got that program to where, um, you know, it was really, really running spectacularly uh collectively but you know between all of those elements of of uh you know the kind of the, the tactical side of me saying you know i i know what i know about dogs and and you guys are bringing us to the table and and to be able to kind of meld that all together i think for us again at that time worked really really well and uh you know i'm not gonna sit here and say i was fucking instrumental in anything i uh, i connected a few dots and and uh you know was was just in a fortunate position to you know to be able to do what i did and and would do it again in a heartbeat um and, and enjoyed the hell out of it but um and also learned a lot frankly i mean i mean i still do i know we all do uh, but um you know it was it was a really really uh, neat experience and and one that was very, both very formidable and and um and impactful for me to be in a position to kind of have that flexibility and budget to do whatever the fuck we wanted, however we wanted wherever we wanted to get whatever dogs we wanted from wherever and 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 it was just it was it was like the wild west almost, you know, I mean, obviously we had some right and left flanks in terms of, of some of the training, uh, you know, and whatever, but we didn't have anybody saying, no, you can't do that. Or you have to use this collar. Or, no, I don't want you right, implementing right. this, that there was none, none of that, you know, and then that's so rare nowadays. So, you know, to me, just like with anything is that when you, when you take the, you know, no pun, but you know, when you, when you take the leash off of, of the guys and let them do what the fuck they want and let their, their real time feedback of the handlers and dogs and, and in these real scenarios, drive the training and the SOPs and the protocols and stuff. I think it's a it's a recipe for for some really good shit. That uh, that I was I was very proud of of the the product that uh, that we had collectively turned out by the end of it. Uh, but
1: all right, right. so hey, Mike, let's back up way back. So you go in the Navy in '96, correct? Yeah, correct. Okay. So that's my. First year on the job at the police department, so thanks for making me yeah. feel old there, buddy. I appreciate it. That's no, nice. Anytime. <laughs> I am like, like 26 years old, but anyway. Uh, so so I, rem- I remember in your first book there was a picture of you right before you go in the Navy and you're wearing the the SEAL shirt. Um, had you When you go into the recruiter's office, see,
2: uh, special operator was not a uh, MOS at that time, Correct correct no it was uh, they had seal source ratings which there was i don't know 15 of them or so that were regular navy jobs that uh, you know the navy had kind of deemed that you know they had had some value or could have some value in the seal community so you had to pick one of those and i originally picked Corman, uh, but at the time the community was pretty heavy on them so they they said now nah, it's closed pick another one so i was like oh fuck i'll try intel specialist um so that, yeah, that's what i picked and and did that before uh, before i went, went to buds but so when you go in there the recruiter do they like okay kid yeah whatever she see oh, everybody else <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I got the same shit from everybody. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, to be frank, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I take that same approach now. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, like I get that all the time. People that you no, know, I want to be, I've always wanted to be a CEO. I'm like, yeah, I've fucking heard that a million times, you know, I, I'm, I'm not skeptical of it. I'm, I just try to be a realist of saying, you know, if you, if we're just looking at straight percentages, the odds are stacked way against you, you know, and, and that's just basic math, you know? Um, so, you know, it, it, it really, what it all blows down to is is whether or not you you want it bad enough. Um, you know, there is some luck uh, involved in terms of not getting hurt or, or you know, getting dealt a good enough genetics to be able to, to physically and mentally com- complete the training. But but most of it boils down to everything you look for in a good bite dog is, does that motherfucker have heart or not? And, uh, you know, and, and that's that's the same thing you're looking for in, in the kids. And unfortunately, just like with the dogs, most of them don't. Uh, but when it, when it really comes down to it, um, percentage-wise, but... Right, so when you get out to you get out to buds, how old are you at that point? I was 18. Uh, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I checked into to, to the buds command when I was 18 years old. I was the youngest kid in my class, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was a fucking eye opener, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, most of the guys in the class were in their mid twenties uh, or so, you know, early to mid twenties, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I was. There was a deer in the headlights, no no doubt about it. Um, yeah, I think some of it was a, was a benefit, frankly. I mean, I was almost too young and dumb and naive to to almost even know any better. Uh, you know, I was just like, I'm I'm here for the BUDS training, you know, and mm-hmm. they were like, yeah. shut up, you know, fucking push him out, you know, and uh, so, I mean, yeah. Go I do like, fucking push-ups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so you're yeah. an 18-year-old but, kid from Iowa. What's that like moving to San Diego?
2: it was a trip i mean again it was like uh it was like when you take a dog that's uh you know been in somebody's backyard its whole life and you throw him in midtown manhattan and he's just looking around like what in the fuck you know um I had never, never swam in the ocean uh, until Buds. I mean, I'd I'd been to a beach and been, you know, in fucking knee-high water, but I'd never been, been out, you know, uh, out amongst the, uh, you know, past the surf zone or or anything like that, and until I I showed up at Buds and and uh, shit, I'd only flown once uh, before I went to boot camp and and you know flew a couple of times before I was jumping out of planes and. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty surreal. I mean, back then I remember I didn't have a car. I never had a car in high school. I I couldn't afford one and and, uh, didn't have one the first uh, year and a half or two I was in the Navy. I didn't buy a car until after I graduated bud and buds and went through jump schools when I was home on leave after that that I bought my first car and so I was literally riding a fucking bus uh you know from Naval Base Coronado down to Horton Plaza the, the mall in downtown San Diego to watch movies on the weekends and shit and and it was just a total total poser. I mean I uh <laughs> Or, or a dork you know i mean I, I didn't didn't really know what to think i like I said i mean but i think that there's a benefit to that and that i i wasn't distracted you know I, I had you know all of my my entire life my entire focus was 100% uh you know dialed in on on uh, on graduating and and doing the best i could and then just trying to trying to make it so uh, it seemed to seemed to pan out
1: that's pretty good because San Diego has a lot to, a lot of distractions. For it has too
2: much to offer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just, there's yeah. too much to offer there. You know, luck, luckily for me, I didn't have a whole lot of time on my hands to get distracted. But I was, and I was too busy getting kicked in the balls. But, mm-hmm. so um,
1: yeah, I moved out there to to work the West Coast contract for a little while, and I was in my
2: 40s, and that was a rough. Time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's not really a time as an adult where going to San Diego uh, isn't a little bit like being in Vegas. You know, I mean, to, it's obviously uh, throttled back a fair bit, but that that uh, you know, head on a swivel like Jesus Christ, there's a lot of shit going on here. Is 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 absolutely there. And I, you know, to me, I think. <clears throat> Uh, it's a double edged sword. I mean, it's, it's nice because it's, if you're stationed, I mean, shit, I was stationed there for almost uh, 12 years, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so to, to go back out there was, was cool, but, um, you know, but it, but it is, man. It's nice to have all that stuff to do, but it's expensive. It's distracting, and and uh, you know, there's just there's a lot going on. But uh, you know, for me, one of the neat things about going back out there, I mean, because I got out in November of '08. You know, so I was in from '96 to '08, and, and which was you know a busy, good time to be in the military, especially in, in a special operations unit. But um or a busy, busy productive time, I guess I should say, but, you know, going back in 2011 um, and not just being back in San Diego, but being, you know, embedded involved with active duty guys that were, you know, supporting the warfighter mission uh, to me, that was like really the, the, the pinnacle and, and the best of both worlds. Cause I was doing what I loved, what I was passionate about in the dogs, but I was still connected with, um, <laughs> excuse me, with the community that I came from and, and there was a number of handlers there at the time that I had served with, even you know they're good friends of mine that that I'd been instructors with or or had been been in the teams with and and so to, to have all of that going on at the same time, like both the, the level of, of and feeling of responsibility of, of you know, finding dogs and, and helping, you know, pair them with handlers and, and, you know, conducting training and organizing scenarios and then setting up, you know, FTX style, you know, uh, full mission profile type uh, type uh, situations of, you know, doing bite work scenarios with detection scenarios and mixing them and, and doing rural stuff and urban shit and, and lining up training trips and all that stuff. You know, to to meld all of that together, uh, to me it was just it was a fucking wet dream come true, honestly. Um, you know, and, and I, I miss being out there. I mean the the drawback I'm sure is the same for you, Eric, when you were there is that, you know, the every other aspect of your business is is on hold. Uh, you know, working, you know, as many hours a week as you are and, and you I mean fuck your life is on hold. Uh, you know, but uh but it's just it was such a such a neat experience to be to be a part of that again and and, and again get that kind of that nostalgic feeling of being back and uh, amongst the SEAL teams and, and doing the, the training trips and you know being with the fucking boys and, and all that because it's been a couple of years and and uh, but also getting to to do you know find dogs that, that, you know, in my opinion, uh, were of the best caliber in the, in the world, um, you know, and, and getting to do, you know, those, those advanced complex training scenarios and, and, uh, and pretty high speed training trips, uh, on some case in some cases was, uh, was just really fucking cool
1: yeah what a lot of folks don't don't understand like trainers is that when you work a contract like that so say the the team that the guys that are assigned to you are going out to San Clemente Island for their workups you're there and it's 10 days or two weeks or whatever living on there you're not going home and you know 10 days or two weeks is nothing like a deployment but guys that train dogs aren't used to that they're used to You know, 8 to 4 or 7 to 3, and then they go home and get back out the next day. But this is when they go down to the land warfare, you're there with them. When they go out to there, you're there with them.
2: East coast, west coast, back and (laughs) forth. Yeah, and and for me, you know, it was like I said, not only am I used to it, it was it was nice, you know, it was nice to be back in that just because I, I mean, shit, I grew up in the SEAL teams from from eighteen to thirty, you know, I, I was in the in the SEAL teams and and you know, so to to be able to go back in, in my mid thirties, um, you know, after it'd been a couple of years, I I really missed it and, and it was yeah, it was neat, it was neat to go back to that, but.
0: Yeah, so getting out, let's take a second and talk about Highland Canine out in Harmony, North Carolina. Jason and Aaron Ferguson started it in 2006 and have been training fantastic world-class dogs ever since. Uh, 2014, they were given their GSA contract, 80, Schedule 84, to allow them to sell to federal agencies and buyers. They do a full range of courses and a super diversified program for the School for Dog Trainers, police canine sales and training, canine instructor courses, canine seminars, detection services, executive protection dogs, and search and rescue dogs. They also accept the GI post-9-11 bill, so vets can get eligible students and and with eligible students can attend the program. They can do the 12-week police canine instructor course, 24 master trainer program, or the 18-week service dog trainer program, and it wouldn't be a complete waste of your money. Because Jason and Aaron are one or two of the best detection people in the industry. Uh, you know, I've wanted to go out and hang out with them to do one of these detection courses out there. They do a great job, produce great content that you can follow online. Uh, speaking of which, is at tacticalpolicek9training.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. That'll take you straight to it. it gives you the uh, syllabuses for all of their courses, tells you when the next courses are coming up, and has loads of information. Hit them up. Highland Canine Training, LLC, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com.
1: I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart. That's the Police Canine Association, or PK9A. They were formed in 1985 by handlers for handlers. They're a 501c3 nonprofit that helps support active and retired canine units through fundraising and the sale of some badass merchandise. Please take a minute to check out their newly designed website at www.pk9a.com. That's pk9a.com. I've been a member there for 13 years and the current training director there. I can tell you there are some big things in the works to expand the nonprofit to help canine units all over. If you're on Instagram, check them out for some amazing content at Police Canine Association or Police Canine Association on Facebook. The teams and then going back and then
0: um, and training with a lot of those guys. And, you know, So at that point, you're seeing all of these dogs, you know, the dogs that are going out, the dogs that are deploying, the dogs that are going downrange, and then the dogs that are coming back. Um, and then which kind of spawns the idea for the warrior dog foundation um there was a specific dog carlos that i think was kind of the impetus behind that whole idea correct
2: yeah so the you know kind of the gist of that again it's you know it's one of those things where i think at this point, you know when people read about the Worry Dog Foundation or, or you know, uh, you know have an inkling of, of what it is and and what it entails and all that. That there that, that there was some grand plan to to organize it, and, and the reality of it is is that it, it kind of happened almost by accident, and that it wasn't some some big thing that I had always dreamed of starting. And, you know, as much as I'd love to say that that was the case, it wasn't. I mean, I was a vendor just like a a lot of guys are, yeah. uh, you know, and and, and selling dogs and whatever. And then there was a a group on the East coast that, that had two dogs that both had done multiple combat deployments. Both of them had been, had been wounded in combat and, and rehabilitated and, and, uh, and even redeployed in some instances. And, and both were just, just motherfuckers frankly to deal with um and uh and weren't of the temperament to go you know with with the handlers and their families uh, or or be really in that type of environment at all uh at least right out of the gate and and so they they kind of checked around with a number of us uh, and just said you know you've hey, got these couple dogs we're looking to retire them would you guys be interested in taking them and, and mind you you know back in 2010 that's kind of when it first Started, um, you know, when when some dogs needed to be retired, and and I mean there had been some prior to that, but that's, you know, from the time the programs and then this program had had been developed with with the unit it was with, prior to to the other uh, coasts uh, doing their their programs, um, but you know they were they were getting to that point where now dogs were starting to need to be retired and whatever, and so. Um, you know, there, there was a handful of us that they approached and everybody's like, what the hell do you want me to do with these dogs? Like they're, well, yeah, they're old, they're it, broken, they're, you know.
0: It's like they didn't think that far ahead. I mean, for all the, the planning they did to make sure they did a fantastic job, it just seems like they didn't think all the way through like it would just be a yeah. normal deal, like they would just retire at their fucking station kennel and just be done with it or something. So,
2: Yeah, you know, I think the, you know, the, the tough part is, and, and I don't, you know, I'm certainly not not casting stones or pointing fingers. I mean, I, you know, the, the the reality of of every unit is that their number one mission is to support the warfighter and the mission. And, and if it doesn't directly do that, then then it's a it's a resource uh, sponge, and and it takes away from the warfighter and the mission. And so I, I get it. Uh, I mean, it's just it's an unfortunate reality. Um, I wish that that our government would pull its head out of its ass long enough to to stop fighting over um, the shit that they fight over and and be able to augment uh, or set aside enough funding to take care of dogs. But the reality of it is, is they don't even take care of the fucking people uh, yet. So, uh, of course, you know the dogs are, are going to take a backseat to that, and, and it sucks on both accounts. But uh, but that was kind of the gist of it. it Was that you know they they didn't have a a place for these dogs, and and uh, you know they asked around, and at first. So I was like, man, I, I don't really have the the ability to do it. Um, you know, and then they asked again and then like you know, nobody had dead Rogered up yet, and I just said, you know, hey, what, what are you guys going to do if if none of us take these two dogs, you know? And they said, well, we'll, we'll probably uh, put them to sleep uh, if if we can't find a, a place for them. And I said, well, fucking send them then. Um, you know, these dogs both have, have saved God knows how many of our special operations guys' lives, and and they've you know both been wounded. Like that's bullshit. I'll I'll take them and uh and so i did and and that was august of twenty ten and and that wouldn't say open the floodgates, but that certainly was the catalyst um you know, and then so you know, again, from 2010 to 2013, it was all word of mouth. Just, you know, people found out that I took some dogs, and so I, I got some from other places that, that I said, yeah, I'll take them for You know, and then once we launched it and it was on 60 Minutes and, and that whole thing, and and infused in part of, of uh, the Try to Can Warrior book, um, you know, then the, the floodgates were open, and then we had people from all over the place, and we still do. I mean, um, you know, contract working dogs, customs, border patrol, military working dogs, you know, special operations dogs from a bunch of different units uh police dogs from about every every place you can imagine well yeah
0: um, shit you took one of ours you know, that so, retired from yeah yeah from yeah. uh from a and from a department in missouri um but yeah i mean yeah. he was he was a special kind of shithead so <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: well yeah. and, that's the, and that's the thing that uh you know the 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 really neat and interesting part about the foundation, and this is, again, a total, like, I I would have never thought of this until I experienced it, was... You know, every one of these dogs, you know, all 80-some dogs that we've gotten in are all dogs like that. They're not dogs that are fun or cool or, or easy to take care of. They're, these are the ones that are going to get the fucking blue juice if nobody takes them in the next few days because uh, they've bit nine people and, and, you know, put put the trainer in the hospital or they, you know, filleted three kids' hamstrings open or, or whatever, and they're, they're just a real pain in the ass to deal with. And so in getting them, you know, I, I'd say, you know, a significant... Uh, part or or uh aspect of of the methodology and training philosophy that I've kind of adopted as as what I believe uh you know over the last decade uh, almost in dealing with them is uh is inadvertently driven from having to deal with them uh is that you know these are all dogs that either have have had enough pressure put on them to where they're either they don't trust anybody uh, or they're they're broken because of, of the amount of you know hands they've bounced around, and different people have tried to. I'll show that mother, you know, and and it didn't work, um, you know, and, and so you know all these dogs that show up are, are a real pain in the ass to deal with, and so you know a lot of the things that I've I've kind of learned the hard way, and, and not that I've reinvented anything because I haven't, um, but you know what what I have found has worked for me um, in in this process and and in and, and, uh, in with all of these dogs you know a lot of it is driven from from having to deal with these dogs of having to take them to the vet having to clean their teeth having to inspect you know issue physical issues that they're having having to crate them having to kennel them having to pick them up to bathe them you know just because I mean, these are dogs I mean, it's not like you're taking care of them for a couple of days I mean this is you know eight eight and a half years of dealing with dozens of these types of dogs that are just bastards to deal with with and, and, and we're their last option, you know, so it's not a, well, we'll send them here or whatever. It's, it's, this is it, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's really, just like with anything in life, it's the hardship that teaches you the most. Uh, you know, it's not the, 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 435 pH one that's, you know, I can hand to, to a nine year old and have them doing stuff with I And mean, these are the dogs that yeah. make your asshole pucker when you, when you have to get them out every time. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's been a, again, a blessing in disguise to a, to a large degree, um, in, in what I've learned and gained from it knowledge base wise of, of having to be creative, with a lot of things that I've tried. And, you know, of course, plenty of the shit hasn't worked and uh, you know, we've, we've gotten either me bit or, or others of, of the team bit or, or, you know, shit ruined or broken or chewed up or, um, you know, we've had, I mean, Christ, we, we could have our own reality show with it, honestly, with the antics and some of the, the some of the situations we've found oh, ourselves yeah. in of thinking, you know, how, and like you couldn't, you couldn't make this up, you know, of, of oh, what, yeah, what the dog's me. doing, where, where he's at. And, you know, just like with anybody, but, uh, you know, you know, it's it's certainly been magnified with with the types of dogs that we've gotten in and, and the and the numbers of them that we've gotten in. That uh, there's there's been some 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 pretty uh, they're funny now uh, looking back on a lot of them. But uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been just a real real kick ass thing to be a part of and, and one that uh, that I'm, I'm honored to be be involved with. I could tell you for a fact that most people that
1: are. In the business or not, or just fans of War Dog Foundation, have n- did not know anything you just told them about the types of dogs that come in there. They probably think, yeah, there's probably a few hard asses, but the rest are just dogs that just got retired. Um, I yeah, know, no, in fact, when I was working the West Coast contract, we sent you a dog when I was out there. Yeah. And if, if they're anything like the dog we sent you, good luck.
2: Uh, I mean, and that's that's the thing that uh you know i'm, I'm glad you bring that up it, it, it they're all that way you know because that's you know i mean we've gotten dogs that have been sent in that have half chewed muzzles with broken prong collars on them that you know that are that somehow managed they got them in the crate and they're like i don't know how the fuck you're going to get them out i don't know how you're <laughs> going to get any of that shit off of them but thanks for taking them you know <laughs> and
0: it's like <laughs> not crate. my problem yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah you know uh yeah i mean that's that's how Just about all of them are, you know, so um, and again, I mean, like I I wouldn't you know, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into as as per usual, uh, you know, when when I started it. But again, I mean, to me, just on on kind of the the broader on, on a principled level, like you know, and, and I'm not one of those, like, no dog should ever be put down under any circumstance. I'm, I'm not that guy at all. Uh, you know, some some dogs are better suited to uh, to be euthanized, but I, I think, and at least, you know, from the dogs that we've taken in, I'd say that, that most of them uh, just need a, a little bit of time and and, uh, and can be reworked. Uh, it's just most, most units and groups don't have the time uh, and the flexibility to, to kind of unwind the dog and, and go about it. Uh, a little slower, but, um, um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, that I wouldn't say baffles me, but it's, it's kind of that adage of, you don't have time to do it right, but you got time to do it again. Kind of thing is that, you know, so many units I work with and see, and I'm sure with both you guys, it's the same way when you run, run courses is, you know, it's, it's just, mandating like, hurry up, how soon can you get on the street? You know, we need this dog certified paramount, you know, get him out there. And it's like, you know, that, that's the wrong fucking way to go about it. And and that that mentality of, you know, we just dropped twelve five into this dog and he went through an eight week handler course and I got per diem and the guy's been off the street for two months and certify that motherfucker and get him out there, you know, it, like that's just such a, a backwards mentality of trying to force a, a square peg in a round hole and and, and I truly believe from what I've seen it at least, that, that that creates a lot of the problems that you see of, of uh, you know, miscommunication and handler aggression and, and you know, tough outing and, and uh, you know, getting shitty with people and and just, you know, not having a good relationship with the handler. And, and you know, I just, uh, again, I, I've learned so many of those lessons from seeing these dogs of, of that, you know, they've been through five different hands of everybody trying to beat it out of them. And, and they're the type of dog that, you know, a lesser dog, maybe that, that works with and they folded and 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 gave up essentially and and, and let the, the handler or trainer win but you know most of the dogs that we get in are the ones of of the strength and character that say, Fuck you You know, I'll I'll you know, I'll take my debts, you're you're gonna bring you're gonna need to bring more than that to get me to, to listen to you and, and and it's those dogs that, that teach you the most that, that have made me realize that, you know, no different than Shamu or a 500-pound fucking Silverback is that, you know, you're not going to make them do anything, and, and you've got to train oh, smarter, yeah. and, and you got to get them to trust you first. And, and once you do that, you know, once you get them to trust you and, and they realize, like, okay, this dude isn't a total bastard like everybody else I've dealt with over the last six years, uh, then it just it, it opens up a, a bunch of doors that, that didn't exist, but that takes time, and you can't put a deadline on it you know I, I can't say hey no. this dog's is going to be ready in six weeks like he's going to be ready when he's fucking ready you know and, and, and if that's not fast enough for you then then get a, a dog that has a little less character and, and backbone to him and and, and do what you got to do with him but I just I, I wish that as an industry um, you know whether it's departments, units, agencies, entities, whatever, would would, would understand that a little better than, than they do. Um, and, yeah, and I think there'd be a, a whole lot less problems if, if they did. But And again, I, I'll be the first to admit, like, you know, number one is this isn't anything I fucking invented. And two is that I did not have this mentality 10 years ago. Uh, I was the exact opposite, you know. And, and the reason it is the way that it is is from having dealt with so many asshole dogs that we've gotten in of realizing, like, you know, the last 10 people have already tried that with this dog. And, and that's why he's here is because that didn't work. So I need to figure out how to, how to enter this dog's mind clearly and get him to understand what, what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And, and, uh, and again, I've, I've learned a lot from, from doing it many times the hard way, but
0: yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, you know, our, our partner at the kennel up, up here, um, Scott, uh, Scott's an old fucking salty ass green beret. Um, from the seventh group, and you know, I mean, he he was a, a Green Beret before uh, they went to the Middle East, so he did all of his time in Central America. And um, if that that dude is nothing if not patient, and you know, when when we're selling dogs, and you've got sheriffs or under sheriffs or people like pressure, 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 when's the dog going to be done? You know, he's like Mister Fucking Zen all the time, and he's just like it'll be done when he's done. And, you know, I just kind of kind of hold my hands out. I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess he'll yeah. be done when he's done. I don't know what you want me to tell you. So, you know, and Scott, you know, one of the greatest things that I've learned from that dude, uh, you know, is kind of my mentor and whatever else is, you know, his patience is like what you're talking about. I mean, we had some we, – we have and have had some nasty, nasty shitheads come through. And, you know, I mean, it's literally – it's time. It's all it is. And, you know, I think, I think you're 100% right. I think the industry as a whole is if this dog can't be pushed through in 12 to 16 weeks through whatever, then fuck it. They need to be washed or whatever else or they're a problem child or whatever. Um, and then if they have some kind of handler regression issue or they have something else that can't be worked through um, – they're not willing to commit the time to it and, you know we see it with large programs you see it with some small programs and you know it, it will take on dogs that i will be the first one to admit we get a dog and i'm like man fuck this dog and scott's like no you need to give him some time or whatever else and i'm like no, oh, fuck him i'm yeah. not giving him anything and you know yeah. i'm i'm usually wrong so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well so- i mean
2: that's the thing that uh i'm oh, sorry go ahead <laughs> oh, no, no! I'm done. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing that I that I've learned is one of the things that I uh, I've said for a while now. Um, you know, again, I know. I mean, fucking everything in in canine training for the most part has been done or 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 whatever. But. Um, you know the, the thing that I always try to try to really uh, pinpoint or, or get across to people is that is two things. Is that number one, first and foremost, realize that you can't fucking explain anything to a dog. You know, you and I are going to sit around here and, and have have conversations. And one of the de- the demos that I do in, in a lot of the classes that I teach is uh, is meeting. You know, I've find the biggest steak neck fucking guy in the crowd and say, come up here. And, and then I, you know, say, I'm going to show you two meetings. I walk up and shake his hand and smile and tap him on the shoulder and nod my head. Hey, you know, and I turn around and walk away. Okay. That's the first one. And the second one, I just walk up to him and just, I fuck him and bow up to him and look him up and down. Like, like I want to cave his head in and, and try to make him uncomfortable. And he's standing there looking at me like, the fuck are you staring? You know, whatever. And then everybody laughs. And I say, okay, you know, you guys, can tell from not hearing a word that we just said and and from across the room how big of a disparity there is between those two meetings, right? Yes. Okay, so now imagine how verbal and visual we all are uh, in terms of how we communicate and how easy it is for us to understand that. Now imagine in a dog, Who? the other thing that I, I like to say is that, you know, dogs don't think in a language, you know. So, so th- think now everything is an association, and everything is, is body language and nonverbal communication with how they view the world. You know, their their mind works more like a calculator than it does our mind is, is, is another you know thing I, I try to throw out there a lot so that people can just get in the dog's mindset from from the from the get go, and then understanding that like okay now that dog has no idea what the expectations are, and so if if he has the balls and the backbone and the Character that you want to send in on a twice convicted barricaded felon that's hopped up on something like, and, and you expect him to go deal with that guy like that takes a son of a bitch to deal with somebody like that, you know, and and so you're going to take that. And now, how how would he just be hardwired to know that if he's fighting with somebody and you come up and, and you you know cave his head in to, to tell him to let go that that he's supposed to understand that, uh, you know, I and and so you know my. The, really, the backbone of my philosophy is trying to communicate that to them through through reinforcing things, and, and it it takes longer uh it you know you got to be really spot on with your timing and 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 it takes uh you know uh, i wouldn't say a, a a master touch but it takes a, a skilled nuanced approach towards you know really reading that dog and being able to use your body to communicate what you want and and, and i'm not opposed to using compulsion i, I absolutely use it i just uh, you know, when, when we're trying to select dogs for their, for their strength and character, and then essentially when they don't understand what's really going on and you, and you, try to beat it out of them and then they turn around and you're wearing them and you're like, this fucking dog's handler aggressive. It's like, no, he's just a tough son of a bitch. It isn't, no, he's just put not, up with he's just not anybody. a dipshit. So <laughs> yeah, I mean. yeah. Well, and, and, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not going to put up with shit, including from you, you know? Um, and, and so, you know, no different than, you know, you, uh, as a police officer, you know, uh, which is you know usually the groups that were generally talking with and, and training with is that, you know, you go hands on with somebody and, and your partner comes up and gives you a fucking mag light shampoo to get you to stop, to stop fucking with him. Like, you know, you're going to turn around and hit him or you're in a bar fight or whatever. Somebody grabs you, whatever you're going to react. And, and so, uh, I mean that but to me, that's only half of the, of the coin. The other half is that, you know, from a, from a strategic standpoint is that I don't want the dog to ever have repetitions of being physically manipulated off of a, bite either if if I don't have to do that. I mean, obviously, if it's an emergency or whatever, yes, Uh, but, you know, to me, I want that dog going in there of of being built up thinking he's King Kong that's not been choked off, that's not been flanked off, that's not been, uh, you know, uh, fucking remote-collared or prong-collared off in, in that every response that he's ever had to being physically manipulated has been a response of him bringing natural forward aggression towards the decoy. And, and that response sends the decoy into, into a prey reinforcement type of reward that just emboldens that strength and character. And, and yes, you can create a monster. That's really hard to put the brakes on, but if it, you know, from my experience and in my perspective is that, is that by doing it uh, in a manner in which, you know, you're just community, you know, that, that it's built off of the dog trust, you and realizes that when you come up there you know he's emboldened and and feels better about you as the handler being present as opposed to whining and tugging and swinging and his ass around in anticipation for getting his ass handed to him that's what i want you know i I want him to go into that that real world scenario of, of, of going wide fucking open with everything he has and every time somebody smacked him or grabbed him or flanked him or choked him or gouged his eyes or dug into him the way that that we all do when we start to really turn the screws on him is that his response is to get angrier and come more forward and, and give it more wide open uh, to give both the dog and the handler a better chance for success of, of neutralizing whatever that threat is and so um you know, it's it 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 doesn't seem to be very widely accepted, and in most places I go, they're like that's fucking stupid. And and uh, you know, now we're I'm going to show that guy, I'm going to make him bucking that go because I told him to. And and I I get there needs to be you know respect goes both ways, and that he's got to respect you and he's got to do it. But I, I just from my perspective, again, not to beat a dead horse, I think there's a, a better, more clear-cut communication style or way of of doing that. And again, a lot of that that hard lessons that I've learned has been from when some of these dogs grab shit that I don't want them to and having to yeah. excuse me having to figure out how to how to get my way out of it but
0: you, you, know, know. you bring up a good point i mean eric or i don't remember if it was me or eric one of us brought up a point on the last show we did about you know that we don't under, you know we we don't it's difficult for us to to uh, convey the danger the dogs are actually in. I mean, how many of them do you know that would actively search for an explosive if they understood what an explosive is, if they would actively bite somebody that is armed if they understand the true danger they were in? And, you know, it's something that I and Scott preach to our handlers all the time here, and I know Eric does too, is that handling is not a spectator sport um, and that it's not about, you know, forcing the dog to do A or B or C or whatever the fuck you want him to do you know and you know i'm telling my handlers all the time you know i mean this isn't a handler this isn't a spectator sport like you're the fucking dog handler so get in there and handle the shit so you know this is what i need you to do this is what i don't want you to do and i i I think you know and and you know eric and i both see a lot of the same stuff (laughs) that you do and you know i mean there's definitely an undercurrent going on here of communication between dog and handler um which is why, you know, it, it, when we deliver new dogs at apartments, it's super important for a bonding period. Um and you know, so that the dogs just know each other. There's no work going on, nothing weird. Um, which is sort of like uh, I mean which is uh, not sort of which is what MikeRitland.com is about Um, so kind of talk about that project a little bit so you started Warrior Dog Foundation then you went to Tricos to do uh, protection dogs and to do uh, law enforcement dogs seminars whatnot and now we're uh, at After the books and everything else at mikecrucial.com, which is sort of the, uh, I guess the culmination of all of your spirit, all of the years of getting your ass handed to you by big gnarly (laughs) talks.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, so the that that project was born out of uh, out of two things. One was requests for it. Uh, It's not again, it's not something that I thought up originally. It was I had enough people say. You know, hey, I'd love to come to a seminar. Like, what about doing like some online thing? Well, you know, whatever. And I, I just I had enough people ask about it. I was like, well, fuck it, I'll give it a shot and see how it goes. And and it's uh, you know wildly surpassed anything I could have possibly imagined. Uh, but the where from a from a theoretical or, or philosophical standpoint, where it, it stems from, is, is a is a combination of everything. It's you know lessons I learned as a kid, uh, lessons I learned you know with with bird dogs, with hawk dogs. All of my time in the working dog community, um you know, lessons you know as a trainer out there with with Wayne on with the MPC group, uh and then also you know dealing with eight years of, of warrior dogs of, of putting up with their shit and then figuring my way out of it, and, and it it really what it encompasses the, the the two main things that I learned is that the the parallels between both dog training across the board, whether it's you know the the federal law enforcement or you know special operations or you know HRT style super high-end, uh, you know, government working canine type of approach or application, or the most basic uh, pet issues that you run into is that, you know, going from A to B, that process is essentially the same, uh, regardless uh, or almost regardless uh, of what A and B are, that, that journey, that process. That transition period is is very, very similar in terms of how important it is to start off with with trust and and a good relationship with that dog and then using shaping and reinforcing to communicate what it is that you want that dog to do hammering the shit out of repetitions until it, it, it goes from being a choice in the dog's mind to a reaction uh, and, and then just like with any of us is when you're you're on it like you know as a shooter as an example if I'm on a primary weapon and I pull the trigger and nothing happens I don't have to think to drop it and go to my secondary I've done it enough times to where it's muscle memory and, and so it's just you know it's running those reps until you get that point out of the dog and then from there now I'm going to use compulsion or, or punishment to extinguish things that that process Has not uh, weeded out by itself, and I will say from you know historical experiences that about 98% of the behavior bullshit that you run into uh, gets gets uh, taken care of by going through that process uh, in that manner again it's not that I don't use compulsion and punishment but what I what I see in in the departments and units that I work with uh, is that you know when you start out by saying put a pr- prong collar an e collar on the dog and that's my foundation for respect and and for control work is that you know it's the difference between slave labor and a good job with great benefits and incentives to, to make you want to work harder and do the right thing is that uh, or anything. I mean, I don't care if it's, you know, your husband and wife, uh, a business owner with his employees, a coach with their athletes, a teacher with their students, you name it, is that there has to be a healthy respect, but there's got to be trust there, or or there, you're, you're you're constantly fighting a, an uphill battle that you're going to lose, uh, or at a minimum at a minimum you're never going to maximize the the potential that you have to get if everything is is under the guise of control and compulsion and, and physical punishment to avoid uh, or to do something to avoid having something shitty happen, uh, and so you know in in taking that process that that's what what this is born out of is is those two things is is understanding that that process doesn't really matter you know basic psychology is basic psychology reinforcement is reinforcement and and you know the term operant conditioning gets thrown out uh, around a fair bit these days and in, in positive reinforcement The reality of it is is that you know there there is four quadrants and then they're all utilized. Uh, in, including positive punishment. I mean, but but by you know focusing on that relationship uh, and, and clear-cut communication, shaping and reinforcing. Then at that point, now if I if I use compulsion at that point, it's a totally different ball game because that dog understands what's expected of him. I'm not emotional about it. We have a good relationship, so he's going to trust and accept that that punishment from me. Way fucking better. Way easier. Much faster, and it's much more effective because it means. Something to them. It's like telling your kids that you're disappointed, as opposed to just screaming at them, you know. And and so they they retain it. It means more, and, it, and it's more effective. And so, uh, you know, those those two components are, are really what drove this program. And and uh, you know, whether it's for a, for a handler, I mean, I have a, there's a number of, of police and military uh, handlers that are that are members on the site. I mean, there's search and rescue groups. There's you know, seventy year old grandmothers with uh, with Anatolian shepherds, or I mean, you name it. I mean, there, there's All all different walks of life. And, and, uh, you know, it's for me the most rewarding part is is to see the progress that people have had training their own dog and, and really understanding you know, these, these basic concepts and, and that it's not that hard to apply them. Uh, and they just, uh, you know, they, they go to work with them and then they're consistent and they kind of follow the monthly lesson that it is. I mean, it's, it's seven bucks a month. I mean, it's a fucking Starbucks uh, a month, uh, you know, to do it. It's not like it's thousands of dollars or some online university program that's, that's costing an arm or a leg. And, you know, just, it's a monthly video that you follow and you incorporate it, excuse me, into your daily life. And, uh, and that's the gist of it. So, um, you know, it, uh, it's it's uh, it's been a neat neat project for sure. I've seen a lot of real good response from
1: that uh, from from people on that. So now you have your you still have your foot kind of in in the military side a little bit, and you know a lot of people, and I'm sure you talk to a lot of them. Where do you see the future of working dogs in the military, especially the spec ops? Do you think it'll continue to? Go? Or do you think we've kind of leveled out, or do you think they're going to try to come up with something different?
2: Well, there's there's a couple things. Um, you know, number one, I think it, it's it's largely in the hands of the people that make the decisions as to whether or not it's successful or, or how successful it is. In that you know, the reality of it is, is that the people that are making the decisions on timelines and budget and, you know, rotation and all that stuff, unfortunately, <laughs> they're the, they're the wizards behind the curtain really that are, that are going to decide if, if it continues to grow and, um, you know, and, and uh, evolve into something bigger and better than it already is. And then that's a flip of a coin. Um, you know, honestly, I, I wish that, that, you know, any of us had more control over that, but but they're really the ones that, that dictate it because just like with training a dog, I mean, if, if you stack the deck against you of saying, okay, I'm going to train with the inconsistent and sometimes I'm going to be an ass and sometimes I'm not, and then sometimes I'm going to use a marker and sometimes I'm going to use verbal and then sometimes I'm going to slap a prong collar and, and there's no rhyme or reason to it, which is essentially what happens sometimes when you got new guys coming and going and, and new trainers coming in and out and, and you know, how they're Structuring the, how the handlers are attached to the units or whether or not the handlers go from a unit and are attached to the dog program or whatever. I mean, that, that shit changes like the weather. Uh, and those inconsistencies breed problems. Um, you know, j- just like any other aspect of your life. And so that's kind of the, the first part of it. Um, the second part of it that, that is one that I, uh, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of people talking about um, and, and bear with me on getting into the weeds with it is that the the, the pool of dogs as I know the three of us know better than most you know that, that pond has been overfished for 15 years um, you know oh, yeah. in oh, conjunction yeah. with a lack of interest uh, society wise in terms of historically where we've gotten good dogs from and that's a recipe for disaster but there's another element that, that I don't see many people talking about that, that to me uh, and for me alarms me more than anything is, is, is the why as to why we're there and again a disconnect between leadership uh and and the working dog industry or community or the the sled dogs that are actually doing it and, and breeding and, and things of that nature and one of the things that i run my head into the wall in because I, I do I'm, I'm absolutely a connoisseur and a and a huge fan of, of bloodlines and, and genetic theory and and I uh, you know i, I try to self-educate a, a ton on on all of that of, uh, you know, line breeding and outcrossing and, and, you know, three-quarter, one-quarter and 50-50s and five-eighths, three-eighths, and, and figuring out how to not, you know, uh, genetically, Funnel yourself into into a corner and, and have and, and be forced to to outcross, uh, but you know the all of the intricacies of that are very, very important for the longevity of the dogs in terms of percentages that you know anybody can take a really nice dog to do a really nice bitch and and make a breeding and and maybe you get a dog or two out of it that 's great, but you know out of eight when you 're scatter breeding and not paying attention to you know the rights in breeding coefficient style percentage of what genetic components are making up. That dog's, uh, you know, we'll say a 32 uh, ancestor, four four generation pedigree is that is that you're you're rolling a lot of fucking dice there, um, and and you're not just like with any other aspect of, of business, is that you know be a little more calculated about it, and and your your percentages in terms of the litter of say like eight eight puppies is that I want six seven or ideally eight of them to be good working prospects that can go work somewhere, two or three is is not a, a good business model and it's and it's a, a, a huge resource driver and it's a big waste of time uh, if that's the kind of percentages you're getting out of, out of the litters that you're breeding and so my point to all of this is that the problem that we as a as a country, as a nation since nine eleven is that when you look at whether it's customs and border patrol, there are five to six hundred dogs a year that they're cranking out, M W D program of the two thousand plus, the special operations groups that are, you know, two fifty to three hundred, uh, and then everybody else in terms of the police departments that's anywhere from thirty five to fifty thousand, is that you've got a shit ton of, of dogs and when you look at collectively as a nation, we have gone out and, and selected and fished, overfished that European pond of, of phenomenal genetics. And you think about all the nice dogs that have gone to spec ops units and fucking customs and, and to police departments and everywhere else. But the the thing that nobody ever seems to think about is that we're going over there and we're, we're grabbing all these phenomenal dogs. And what are we doing with them? Or more importantly, what are we not doing with them? We're not breeding any of them is that they're either being castrated before they're retired and they're not allowed to breed during their service period uh, or they're not collected or taken advantage of prior or not very much or maybe they're too young to know if, if you know they're worth breeding to or whatever but but you know imagine the, the human equivalent is, is taking every first responder special operations guy military uh, you know professional soldier and 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 uh, you know castrating them or, or uh, you know making them shoot fucking blanks where as a society, would we be in three or four generations? You know, we would be fucked just like the dog programs are. Is that you know that's one element that doesn't really ever get talked about? It's you know how are we going to get more dogs? Whatever. Well, you know, first you've you've got to take advantage of the genetics that are already there, and these are dogs that are proven either war fighters or street fighters or uh, or whatever. Is that these are some of the best genetics on the planet, and they're not being utilized at all. Uh, you know, of course that is going to be an enormous Detriment to any type of genetic breeding program, or or just the the, the breed as as a whole, uh, as a dog breed in and of itself. The you know the Malinois Shepherd, Dutch Shepherd, um, you know is in a, a really tight spot right now genetically because of all of that. I mean, you think about all of all of the wasted genetics. Um, you know, yes, they've they've served well and, and done their job, but you know, from a longevity you know long game or big picture standpoint, I think as an industry. We have completely fucked ourselves over uh, from a genetic standpoint that, uh, that we're going to be paying for for a long time. Um, and that's just the, the sad truth of it. I mean, that's the only reason that I, I breed. Uh, I don't make any money doing it. I fucking lose money on it. Uh, but I, I do it because I, I don't want to just be a consumer. Um you know, I, I want to, to do at, at, at least what I can to try to at least uh, somewhat augment uh, and put put dogs out there that uh, you know that are good, well-bred dogs that are uh, that are capable of, of working in different different hosts of, of different capacities and uh, you know and, and do something for it because you know there's no one person or even ten people uh, that can breed enough really good dogs to to fit the need. I mean, it it would take a it it will take a collective effort from all of us uh, as industry professionals to uh, to really focus on trying to, to repopulate it. No different. I mean, to me, I, I would put a good, strong, working shepherd or malinois in the same category as a fucking black rhino at this point. Uh, is that they are on the endangered species list, you know? I mean, the think about it, I mean, they're, shit, they're, there's more of them than there are oh, yeah. strong fucking dogs, you know? I mean, it's that's where they're at. Um, and if we don't do something about it, it's uh, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. And so the reason I bring all of this up to bring it back to your question, Eric, is that those two things are going to what are going to be, in my opinion, what dictates whether or not working dog programs e- even exist. Because as it stands right now, when you look at the you know in the in the realm of sixty to eighty thousand, roughly, I would say uh, you know working dog uh, working dogs in this country or, or even internationally on behalf of this country, um, you know that can't be sustained uh, with the way things are right now, uh, between those, those two, two components. So, uh, it's it, me, it, it's kind of depressing, but I, mm. what I hope is that, you know, for anybody, for the five people out there that are listening, I'm just fucking with you guys, mm. uh, <laughs> right. You know, is, is that, uh, is that, uh, is that, you know, we, we, we do something about it. I mean, the, the first, first step is, is knowing what, what the problem is and then to how severe it is. And, and then, you know, the, the last thing is, is collectively coming up with a solution. And, and to me, that's how I how I see it: educate the leadership uh, and be a lot more smart uh, about about breeding and, and uh, repopulating the, the working dog community.
1: Well, you know, we were going to do probably about an hour show on breeding and everything. I think you just handled that, so I think we're pretty good. So, Michael, <laughs> no. touche. Was, no. We're a little over an hour here. I think I heard you take a breath four times,
2: so that's pretty impressive. Well, I mean, listen, all I'm saying is don't don't. Don't rub the lamp if you don't want the genie to come out. Yeah, that's here. right. You, know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. Mm-hmm. Mike,
1: where can we find you online?
2: Um, usually on the, in the stalls of, of uh, rest stops at most uh, most gas stations. No, the, uh, the Mike uh, mikeritland dot com is kind of my landing page. Uh, it's the hub for everything that I have going on, uh, whether it's speaking engagements uh, you know, the Team Dog online stuff. The Team Dog stuff is Team Dog dot uh, which will redirect you there anyway, but um Strikehost.com, WarriorDogFoundation.org, uh, Warrior dog uh, but you know, again, the, the Mike Ritland sites being redesigned right now and will be a better landing page within may be before this airs, but uh, within the next few days to week, I would imagine. But uh, that's really the, the landing page for everything that I have going on. So that's, that's the best place to go. But, uh, for the online training, like I said, the, yeah, the, the team Dog is, uh, is that address.
0: Excellent. So, uh, You can also find Mike on Instagram, Mike Ritland, uh, or it's M M Ritland, and then uh, Mike Ritland on uh, the public page for Facebook. Uh, I'm Ted Summers, uh, Working Dog uh, Dry Goods, Working Dog Radio, and Torchlight Canine. You can find me on all those. And then, of course, Eric, you can find him at Van S. Canine on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, With that, we're going to have Bradshaw on from from Tar Heel Canine. Uh, the next show, and Mike, uh, I think we're gonna talk to you again. And probably every three or four episodes is what it sounds like. So we'll find some interesting shit to talk about. And uh, I look forward to coming ha- having you back on.
2: Amen. I'll, uh, yeah, I look forward to coming back. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, whether it's three or four or every other, I mean, I, you know, however, however I can help uh, uh, help you guys out, I'm, I'm happy to do it. So um, I uh, appreciate you having me on. Excellent, man. We appreciate I- it. All right, gentlemen. All right. Stay warm. Hell yeah.
0: All right. Thanks. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg spelled D-E-G-E.blogspot.com spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.